had a friend uh, come over to my house one day. He called me on the phone. He said, his name was Jim, good, good guy. Can I, he goes, can I come over and talk to you about something? And I'm like, yeah, I hate it when people do that. Do you, do you, don't you talk to you about what? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you kind of want to say, well, what are we going to talk about? Comes over to the house, and then he says, well, can you come out and sit in my car? Because this is private. I'm like, okay. Jim, Jim Knibblick, my friend, says he was on staff at our church there, and he was uh, leaving the staff. And uh, I'm sitting out in his car, and here's what he says. He says, Ken, I want you to know I haven't talked to anybody about what I'm going to talk to you about right now. I haven't talked to his, my, his wife, Debbie. goes, I haven't told Debbie. I haven't told anybody. But, but I love you, and I think a lot of you, and I think you have a lot of potential. And so I want to share something with you that you do that bothers me. And I said, let me out of your car. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, that's what my little insides wanted to say. But I'm like, oh, no. I, I said, if, it, if it's something that bothers you, Jim, I'd like to know what it is. Jim was a really, really quiet guy. And he was really slow of speech. Like, he's a bright guy, but he just thought a lot before he talked. So when you do that to me, I'm just going to, like, fill all the gaps in. Because I'm not shy. And I've always got something I'm thinking. So he said to me, Ken, it just seems like a lot of times... When we talk, you don't listen to me very well. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding. Jim, you, you, you just, you leave these long gaps, and I just feel like I, I should talk during those times, and I'm sorry. Man, I thought about that a lot. About one of the best ways to show somebody you really love them is to be good at listening. And if you want to, for, for many of us, if you want to humble yourself, you can begin right there. Um, how good of a listener are you? And how many friends do you have that would be honest like Jim in such a good way? That's helped me a lot over the years. I was out in Rochester, New York for a conference once, and it was kind of neat because when I walked up to the registration desk, the lady says, you are Ken Pierpont, which I thought was kind of funny because I'm sort of a small fish. She's like, you are Ken Pierpont. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I, I read your stuff on the internet. I watch your messages. I look at your wife's pictures. I follow your family. Well, that was cool. I'm like, oh, tell me more, you know? So she did. She was just saying about this something I'd written like that. And then I said, well, one of my sons is here. Maybe a little later on you can meet him. And she said, I would love to meet one of your family because I, I read all about them. And I said, well, great. So I had this little tiny fan club. I thought it was kind of neat. And so we, we, when we saw the lady again, I brought my oldest son, Kyle, over to her. And I said, this is my older son. She says, yes, I've read about you. It's so neat to actually meet you. And then she says, yeah, and I look at Kyle, I look at your mom's pictures on the internet. My husband, he sometimes takes pictures. But anyway, and then Kyle interrupts. This wonderful lady was heaping praise upon us, which was just a lot of fun. And then Kyle interrupted and said, your husband takes pictures. And then I thought, you interrupted her. She was talking about us. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wow, that's... That, where did he learn that? He must have learned that from his mother. And then I just sat back a minute and I thought, how terrible. I was so eager for her to talk about me. And I was so slow to talk about her. And it reminds me what the scriptures say. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James, the brother of Jesus, had this 
little book of the New Testament that's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And he said in it, Then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. I'm like, I have two strikes already. And slow to wrath. The wrath of man doesn't produce the, the righteousness of God. Proverbs 18, 13 it says this, um, he who answers a matter before he, before he hears it, before he listens, it's folly and a shame. He's a fool who should be ashamed of himself. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds some of them back. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Anybody else convicted yet? This is a treasure of my heart. Learn, learn to be a good listener, right? And, and, and listen to understand before you, you talk to be understood. A, a man who was nervous, he was nervous about going to a party with his wife because his wife was a professional. He was a, sort of a common guy. And, and she was super bright, professional, had all these professional friends. They were very well-educated. They were very sophisticated. They were very bright people. And she says, I want you to meet all my friends. I want you to come to this party. And he's like, I don't want to go to the party. Your friends wouldn't find me interesting. They wouldn't find what I do interesting. And she says, oh, you know, I'm so proud of you. I want you to come. So he, he decides, okay, I'm not going to let my wife down. I'm going I'm to go to the party with her. And all the way he thinks to himself, how am I going to have conversations with these educated people, these sophisticated people, these bright people? And then he comes up with an idea. He's, he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll listen to what they say, and then I'll summarize what they said, but I won't say anything on my own. All I'll do is just listen to what they say, and then I'll say it back to them. I'll summarize in my own words what they said. And all night at the party, he walks around and people talk to him and he listens to them and then he summarizes what they said. And that's all that happens. And this is the conversation on the way home. His wife says, one of her coworkers says, your husband was so charismatic. And another one said, he was so articulate. But all he did was repeat what he had heard. Proverbs 27, uh, 17, 28 explains that. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. But when he opens his lips, uh, when, he, when he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. So that's a treasure of my heart. Working on it all the time. Learn to be a good listener. You, you've heard of Michael Card. You've listened to maybe, I've uh, heard Michael Card in concert. You almost never hear Michael Card in concert that you won't hear him tell a story about the fact that his dad was a doctor and he had a lot of burdens and he would come home from the hospital and he would lock himself in his study. And Michael Card said when he was a boy, he would draw his dad pictures and then he would slide the pictures under the door so that his dad would pay attention to what he did. And when you hear Michael Card in concert, he says, I feel like I'm still sliding pictures under the door and I want people to understand me. And then he'll often say this, for some people, the best way to show them that you love them is to listen to them. That's a goal that I have. Sometimes in our home, we say, I want the talking stick. 
In other words, in our home, there's a talking stick. And if you say, I want the talking, and there was a lot, normally a lot of people in our home. We had 10 people in our home when the kids were growing up, and everybody would be talking at once, and every, every once in a while, somebody would say, I want the talking stick. And then that person was the one that got to talk, and everybody else had to listen. It's a really great idea to give other people the talking stick a lot. Lois and I were having an argument once, and uh, I was right, and she was wrong. She was really, really wrong, and I was really, really right. I was 100% right, and she was 100% wrong. And I'll just, I'll explain it to you. Let me see if I can get you on my side in this argument. Like, here's what happened. So I go up in the Ohio Amish country. There are cabins up there. And at the time, you can't reserve these cabins unless you go there and, and, and physically reserve the cabins. So I had reserved the cabins. We had some really neat times there when the kids were little. And we would, you know, pop popcorn over the open fire. I would play my harmonics to the kids up in the loft. And, and uh, it was just a wonderful time. And, and it was hard to book those. And I was coming through the area, so I booked that. As soon as I got home, I said to Lois, I said, I booked the cabins. She's like, good. I go, put it on your calendar. But she didn't put it on her calendar because you know, she's stubborn like that. And so I said, I want you to write it in your calendar. And I noticed she says, okay, okay. But she didn't write it in her calendar, which was totally wrong. That's the way I see it. And then, uh, and then I remember that, you know, I wrote it down. And every once in a while, I'm reminded that don't forget we're going to go to the cabins on this particular weekend. And and don't forget that. It's important. And I already booked them in that. And then one long after that, I heard her on a, having a phone conversation with a grandma, Carly Banks. And she was saying, well, we'll just come down and see you that weekend. And it was the weekend that I had booked the cabins. And I very graciously, because I'm a very kind, gracious person, I, I said, no way. We're not going to see your grandma then. We booked the cabins. We can't go then. I told you that. You were supposed to write that on your calendar. I said, at least that mean. And uh, she's like, you know, go away. I'm talking to my grandmother. And that frustrated me a lot. As a matter of fact, it frustrated me so much. I thought, mm, not going to sit here in this house with this one, stubborn woman. I'm going to go to the church and do marital counseling or something. I'm going <laughs> to just going to leave. And so I got in the car. True story. This is not stuff I'm making up. I drive along and I turn on the radio. It's James Dobson on the radio. Focus on the family. And he starts talking about the, what he calls the drive-through listening, right? Like you drive, drive through a fast food place, you tell them what they want, they repeat it back to you, make sure you got it right. And then they make you agree, that's what we said, yes. And he says, you know, when you're having in your marital relations and your human relations with other people, and you're having trouble communicating, sometimes it's really good just to really listen. And instead of telling how you feel, because you're convinced you're right, just repeat what they said back to them. And I thought, Lois needs to do this. <laughs> she totally didn't listen to me. She needs to do this badly. She totally is bad at this. So I turned my car around and I drove home and I said, I just listened to the radio and they had a great idea. She said, what's that? A wee bit cynical, right? And I said, well, they say you talk and the other person listens to what you said. They repeat it back. She goes, all right, fine, as long as I can go first. And I'm like, well, you can go first as long as somewhere in this you're going to listen to me because I'm right, 100% right, and you are 100% wrong. And as soon as you listen to me, you're going to know it. 
This is what my little thought bubble was doing, right? Wasn't saying that. You can get yourself hurt talking that way. I'm just thinking. So I said, you go first. And here's what she said. The way I look at it is, Granny Banks, I love her so much. One of these days, she's going to die. And she going to be there anymore. But those cabins are still going to be there. And then I went, it's true. And you know what? Granny Banks, she'd been gone for years. And those cabs are still there. And I was wrong. She still should have written it down, but I was wrong. And I thought, how powerful it is sometimes just to listen to what people are telling you and then say it back to them. How simple. How often we don't do that. Jesus understood people deeply. Listen to people deeply. That's what I want to be like that when I grow up. I took a guy to, I have permission to tell you, I took a guy to a counseling ministry once called 12 Stones down in Brown County, Indiana. Really a neat place. The idea was that we would go there and I would be his advocate. He would be getting counsel from a counselor. The counselor would mean we'd stay in this cabin overnight, two nights, three days, and then the counselor would, would, would give him counsel, and then I would, like, take notes and help him. And so here's what happened. We got in this cabin. It was in the wintertime, and we got a little fire started. And then the guy, the counselor, I wondered, what's the counselor going to tell him? What wisdom is he going to give him? You know, I've tried to help him, and the guy's, you know, he's a troubled guy. He's got some heartaches there. And what's the counselor going to say? But the counselor didn't say anything. He just listened. He started when he was little, and he started listening to his story of his life. And he listened from one to five, and then from five to ten. And we were hours in, and he wasn't even to his teens yet. You're just listening and having him tell him stories and asking him questions and listening. Intense listening. It was a good long time. It was well into the second day before the counselor gave him any input or any suggestions or any counsel. As I sat there, I thought to myself, everybody should have somebody listen to him like this. What a powerful thing it would be if somebody would just listen in a deep way. A lot of knots would get untangled automatically if we, if we deeply listen to one another. If you have a child, I wonder if they feel like you listen to them. You ever have your kids say, you just, you just don't understand me. And you go, yes, I do understand you. I understand you better than you understand yourself. And you might, but they don't think you understand them, which is kind of a hint like, I just want you to listen to me. Uh, On a good day, I will listen to people and repeat what they said, even if it was wrong. It's not like I'm agreeing or endorsing. It's that I'm understanding, right? And this is just such a beautiful thing. We could talk a long time about this, but I have four points today, and we have to hurry. So this is the first treasure of my heart for today. Listen to understand other people before you get them to listen to understand you. Listen first, and listen deeply, and listen well. And that that song, uh, James or Ashley, whoever chose that last song about our humble king, was just so perfect today. It made me think, this is Jesus, right? Can, can you hear, can you see the character of Jesus in this familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2? 
Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, he found, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But first, he, he came and humbled himself, and, and he loved and cared and listened, and he walked among us. Now, speaking of the character of Jesus, let's look at something else the Bible says about Jesus. Take your Bibles and look in Matthew 20 and verse 28, and we're also going to look in Mark 10, 45. Matthew 20 and verse 28 tells us something about Jesus, which is a beautiful and exemplary. Matthew 20 and 26 um, He's, Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking about um, this disciples' desire for, for greatness. And maybe what they're wrangling about is he announces his death, and then they, you'll notice if you study the Bible, you'll see that Jesus, whenever Jesus announces his death, that should be like, stop the train. Jesus said he's going to die. If you said, now, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, everybody should stop the train and say, what did you just say? You're going to die. Let's talk about that. And it looks like what the disciples did was they, they immediately went to, so now who's going to be in charge when you're gone? It's kind of the idea here. Um, you, you said you're going to die, verse, chapter 20, verse 17. And then right after that, they get the mother's request, uh, then who's going who's gonna, to, because we, I mean, if you die, this kingdom thing's got to move forward, and it's got to, we've got to throw off the Roman yoke, and, and, and so we've got to keep this thing, so we just need to know who's in charge when you're gone. It was like the wrong question, get it? And so then he answers the Gentiles, you, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And, and their great ones exercise authority. That's the way godless people think, right? Verse 26. But it shall not be so among you. That's not our program, he says. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's scandalous. God came not to find people to serve him, but he came to serve people. So this is, the, and, and by the way, if you look in Mark and chapter 10 and verse 45, you see this, Mark in chapter 10 and verse 45, you know those, so this is verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be the slave of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life for many. Here's the treasure. Don't, don't try to find people who will serve you. Look for people to help. Look for people to serve. Jesus did that. He changed the world not by coming initially just to get people to serve him. They, they would, but he came to serve. They say there was a young man whose name was Bill in England one day, he didn't know what to do with his life. He, wasn't, he didn't feel like he was particularly gifted. He didn't feel like he had a grip on what he should do with his life. He just wasn't sure. 
I believe he went to a pastor one day and he said to the pastor, I just don't really know what to do with my life. I don't have unique giftings or opportunities. The pastor very wisely says to Bill, Bill, until you figure out what God wants you to do, go out on the streets of London and go to the poor parts of London and find needs and fill them in Jesus' name. Just go out, find a need, fill it in Jesus' name. Bill, you would know him as William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. If I understand it right, and I'm sure I could be corrected if I'm wrong here, Salvation Army is in over 90 countries of the world because Bill went out one day, found a need, met it in Jesus' name. Something beautiful about that. That's a treasure of my heart. Don't try to get people to serve you, but serve and help other people the way God gifted you to serve and help other people. And uh, so be a good listener, care about the needs of others before your own, like Jesus, and then don't try to get people to serve you, but go looking for people to serve. They're everywhere. You'll always be busy if you're looking for people to serve. Now, now here's another, and this is powerful. It's, take your Bibles and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll tell you a little bit about my story. If you would read my grade cards, my report cards from all of my elementary school teachers, we went from school to school. My dad was a church planter, and so he moved around. The, the report cards all read the same. They say things like, Kenny has a lot of energy. Kenny needs to sit still. Kenny talks too much, which I thought was a really indelicate way of telling a person that he has unique verbal skill every one of those teachers, they all missed it. Kenny talks too much. Like, they all said that. Didn't matter where I went to school. Kenny doesn't sit still. Kenny talks too much. That's probably what you're thinking right now. He's still talking too much. Just quit. <laughs> My old wife, we were in Ann Arbor one day, and she bought me a pack of cards. They're like, they're little cards that you can deal them to a friend if they're talking too much. They say, stop talking. She bought them and gave them all to me for Christmas. I'm like, that is so wrong. I promise not to trash her any more than two or three more times on my message here today. Stop talking. So, Kenny talks too much. And probably because I was talking to him, because I was outgoing, I was also kind of a target for bullying. And so no matter where I went, eventually they figured out that I was the kind of kid you could beat up and get away with it. And so I have some pretty hard memories of going home from school and having kids gang up on me and beat me up and say cruel things. And I remember one time a kid, they had boots back then with the little clips on them, and it was this wintertime. And I remember that I, they were holding me down, and I remember a kid kind of winding up like he's going to kick a football to kick me in the head with those boots with the buckles. And it's not that it hurt so bad. I just thought, how could a person be so cruel that they would want to kick my face with that boot with those buckles? And, and the worst part was really to go home at night. You know, it wasn't just one school. It was other schools. It happened wherever I went. And so you think, well, it's not the them. It's me. I'm the problem. Everybody wants to beat me up, kick my head. There must be something about me that's just really disgusting. And there's a dark question that lies in the bottom of every human soul, right? And mine was, why do, why do, why do people want to beat me up? Why, when they get to know me well, they want to hurt me? And you know, the devil's behind that. He fuels that kind of thing. 
And I would lay in my bed at night, and I would think that. When I was about 16 years old, I was on the bus to school, and I was thinking about some of the cruel things that people would say to me. And I, I was reading some Christian books. I read a lot of Christian books. When, when finally the truth came to my heart about this, that changed my life. I was about 16. And that was that one of the things that I was always doing when I was talking, and I still do it today, is I, I, I might as well just might as well be saying, will you love me? Will you be my friend? Will you like me? I want you to love me. I want you to like me. I want you to be my friend. And some healthy, normal people will say, well, yeah, I love you. Or no, I'm selfish. I'm going to probably ignore you. But then kind of sick people will, they'll get a letter sweater in beating you up. They'll just do that because you're easy. And maybe they're not good at athletics. And maybe they're not good at band. And maybe they're not particularly academic. And so they're going to stand out by beating you up. There's always a group of people like that in life. And, they're, that's what they're, and they always will find people that are easy like that. And plus, somebody reminded me, I think it was my sister said, and you were kind of irritating. <laughs> I said, thanks, Melanie. I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, I took a, a quote from a book and I wrote it on my notebook on the bus on the way to school in 16. And it hit me that I'm going about things the wrong way. And the Christian way is not to try to find people to love you. Or the Christian way, right, is look for people to love. Now that changed my life. Don't look for people to love you. Look for people to love. Because even if, and in this world, you're going to get beat up. And sometimes you're going to get beat up by people that should love you, but they don't. But there are always going to be people out there, and they need love. So I went to high school, and I started looking around the cafeteria, and I always wanted to be invited to this table over here where all the pretty girls and the athletes sat. And one day I got invited to that table and I got my tray and I, I walked out and they were like, Pierpont, over here, which I thought was amazing. I, I've never been invited to that table. Pierpont, over here. And I was like, look, like, what? There's only one Pierpont in my school. It's me. So I walk over to that table and as soon as I put my tray down on cue, they all got up and walked away. And then everybody laughed. And then I laughed, but that was only because it was so embarrassing. But after I thought about this scriptural truth, don't look for people to love you, but look for people to love, I looked at the cafeteria a different way. I looked around to see kids that were sitting alone, and there were all these kids that were sitting alone. There were kids nobody wanted to eat with. They were different. They were unusual. They weren't attractive. They weren't popular. They were lonely, and they're everywhere. And when I began to act Christianly about that, my life changed. As a matter of fact, today, I probably have more friends on Facebook than you do. <laughs> Real, genuine, tight, close, personal friends on Facebook. I'm kidding. You know, what's funny today is I have so many people in my life that would like to spend time with me and, and talk with me and be with me. I don't have time for all the people that God's put in my life. And the difference is I stopped looking for people to love me. And I started looking for people to love. And I took the gifts that I have, like being kind of outgoing and being an encourager and being tenderhearted. And I just like got next to people who needed encouragement, needed somebody who would be tenderhearted with them and care about them. And God's given me many, many friends, people who care about me, who love me. And one day in the church, sometimes the church can be beautiful and sometimes the church can be ugly. Your job is to be beautiful church, not ugly church. I'm just sharing that with you, okay? But let's be honest, every once in a while, Christian people can do the ugliest, stupidest things. <laughs> I was in a church once a long time ago, long ago and far away, years and years ago. 
And there's a fellow that was mistreating me. And I, and I think I had partial responsibility for that. Looking back, I have a little bit more insight now, so I'm not picking on him. But I, I felt very keenly that night. I was in a parsonage, and the family was gone, and I was just feeling like, why does this guy not love me? I'm, I'm a lovable guy. I, I, would, I would love him if he let me, but he won't let me. Why? And then I thought, well, I'll just read my Bible, but I didn't know where to read so I was sitting there by the fireplace that night, and I thought, well, Paul was persecuted by people. Maybe I'll read one of the letters of Paul. I got out my little pocket New Testament that night, and I started reading through 2 Corinthians. And when I got to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, it confirmed deeply to my heart what I had believed before. Paul, Paul says, I'm your spiritual father. You're not supposed to be giving to me. I'm giving to you, Right? And he says, I will therefore, I will most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent for your souls. The more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul said, I will, mo- I will most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent. Like, what does that mean? That's, that's, can you see Jesus in that? Can you not see Jesus in that? Not only did he invest, but he, he spent and spent, totally laid down his life. And Paul says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls, even if you don't love me back. This is powerful in your family. If I ask you to raise your hand, it would be a really bad idea. So don't raise your hand. But if I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you here feel unloved? And you raise your hand. How many of you feel unloved by some of your kids? How many of you feel unloved by your mom or your dad? How many of you feel unloved by your husband or your wife? It wouldn't be a bad idea to have people raise their hands. It would be shocking how often people don't feel love from the people that they're supposed to expect love from because we live in this messed up, broken, fallen world. And there's an answer for that. Jesus is the one who will never leave us and never forsake us. Jesus is the only one that can give us all the love that we desire. No, no husband, no wife, no child, no friend, no mama, no dad can love like Jesus loves. And that's why Paul said, I'll, I'll most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I would suggest to you that if you fe- don't feel loved, then don't look for people to love you, but look for people to love. The Bible says that it's more important if people, that people, it's more important whether or not people accept Jesus than it is whether or not they accept you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you, if you don't accept Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't trust Jesus, then you will go into an eternal conscious torment away from God one day. As a matter of fact, here in Matthew in verse, chapter 10 and verse 14, if anyone will not receive you, listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is one example of when people reject Jesus. That's the worst thing that could ever happen, but not if they reject you. So I'm in bed one night, and I'm bothered. Not too long ago, a few years ago, and I was bothered because a family left our church. And it really bothered me because when they left, they kind of picked up one of my family members and kind of, it was not direct, it was indirect. I, I heard the word kind of come back that they were picking on one of my boys who I love very much. And, and when I heard that, it, 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 it bothered me a lot. These people left the church and they're talking bad about my kid, you know. 
As a matter of fact, I stayed awake for a while that night, just bothered by these people. I called them on the phone, can I come over and meet you? They said no. Uh, tried again, they wouldn't let me come over and meet them, and they'd been critical and unkind, and it hurt my feelings. And then I, probably an hour or two, I lay awake in my bed at night, and I thought, it's just like it was in school. When they get to know you, they're going to kick you in the head, even at church. That's the way it is. You know, we all have that dark question that lies at the bottom of our soul that Satan repeats to us over and over again, right? Something about you that's ugly. They're going to reject you. Along with that thought, God put another person in mind that had left the church. His name was Kevin So. Kevin was a teenager, came to our church, and we led him to the Lord and baptized him. He went through our, my class, my, my um, membership class. I spent some time with him, met his family, and went to some of his events. When Kevin graduated, he went off to school, and then the word came back that he'd walked away from the Lord, and he didn't consider himself a Christian. And when I heard about that, I thought, that's too bad, but it happens. And then the Lord said to me, so, kind of like this, so Ken, let me see if I understand this right. If people walk away from you and they reject you, you stay awake at night and you worry about that. But when they reject me, you just say, well, that happens sometimes. But shouldn't you care a lot more when people reject me than if they reject you? See, folks, the, the real issue in the world isn't if you're accepted or not. It's if Jesus is accepted. And he was often rejected. But it's a powerful, life-changing thing to just go out of the world and say, I'm not going to try to get people to love me. I'm going to try to find people who need love. If they reciprocate, that's wonderful. If they don't, I know that Jesus loves me. Let me share the final one with you. Take your Bibles and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. To repeat, be a good listener. Care more about other people. Learn to be a good listener. Love people by listening. Second, don't try to get people to serve you, but look for people that you can serve. Third, don't look for people to love you, but look for people to love. And remember that it's more important if they reject Jesus than if they reject you. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, Paul's talking about how seeing the, the work of the cross changes a person's entire perspective. When you get who Jesus is and what he did, the way you look at your worldview radically changes. Everything's different when you see who Jesus is and what he did. And that's all Paul is saying in this passage. But he says something interesting in the passage that, that, that hit me once, when, especially when people irritate me. And, and, you know, you tend to, like, maybe somebody cut you off in traffic. They're just a car out there. They're not a mom or a dad or a child. They're not a person with burdens. They're just a person with a car out there that got in your lane. They're not even human, right? It's easy to go through life like that. Who is he? He's just the person that bugs me. Who is she? She's the person who has nicer stuff than me. Who is that person? That's the person who has that weird idiosyncrasy that I don't like. And, and the, the whole person is just that little piece, the way you look at them because of the way you connected with them on that one particular time. And then Paul comes along here and he says, when I recognize that what Jesus did in his, the death of Christ, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, from that point on, I never look at anyone from a merely human point of view. Paul says, once I understand the cross, I never look at anyone from a merely human point of view. 
And, and so, he, so in verse 16, this is the way it says it in the ESV. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't look at people just like the guy who cut me off in traffic. There's a deeper story than that, right? I don't look at people from a merely human point of view. So how can I look at people? How can I, and this is the truth, this is the treasure, try to see people the way Jesus sees people. Now think of you put this all together. I try to understand people before I get them to understand me. I try to serve before I expect them to serve me. I try to love before I demand that they love me. And I try to see people the way Jesus sees people. Can you see how that would just be life-changing for you? Can you see why that would be a treasure? Why, look at people the way Jesus looks at people. See people the way Jesus sees people. And I'll give you three ways of doing that that have been helpful to me. Number one, think about their past. When you see that person that cut you off in traffic or they're irritating or they just have, you know, mannerisms or maybe they've attacked you and, and maybe they've hurt somebody you care about, but, but ask, you know, just look back. What's their past? And that's number one. What has their past been like? Do you know their story? Have you listened to their story? That's a very, very powerful thing. What has God, what's happened in their past? What's their past been like? Get their story. Second thing is, What's God doing or what's happening behind the scenes in their life right now? And, and, and what's God doing right now? What, what is Satan doing in their life right now? What's God doing in their life right now? What's going on inside them right now? What's happening with them right now? And somebody may, if they cut you off in traffic, you're angry. If they cut you off in traffic because they're on the way to the hospital with a little girl that's not breathing, it changes everything, Right? What's going on right now? And then, what's their future going to be like? Like the scriptures say, for instance, in Matthew 25, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is talking about a segment of people, and they're going to, they're going to depart into everlasting destruction, or they're going to depart everlastingly into the presence of the Lord. And my dad taught me this when I was a boy. He said to me, Kenny, look at everybody's either going to go to heaven when they die, or they're going to go to hell when they die. And every place, every place you go, wherever you go all your life, I want you to look at people and think, are they on their way to heaven, or are they, are, are, on, the, are they on their way to hell? Today, you might be in church, and yet still not on your way to heaven, because you've got some religion, you've got some religious teaching, but you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior, repented of your sins, turned and walked in his way. And you, you, you could, you know, this life is going to be as good as it ever gets for you, and then it gets bad from here. But for a, but for a believer, this life is as bad as it's ever going to be, even though we, we are going to suffer and, and have heartaches, and, but we're going to break into a glorious future someday. And so think about what's their future going to be like? What's their past been like? What's going on inside them right now? What's their future going to be like? I had a kid that was in a singing group I was in in school, and his name was Jerry. And he was sort of irritating. It wasn't bad. It was just irritating. And so whenever we would be in the room, you know, I'd go to say something, he'd be saying something. And I was just like, oh, he would say things. And they, again, nothing I could really say was bad. I think when I look back on it, it's a little bit like C.S. Lewis described pride in his book, Mere Christianity, his chapter on pride. He said something like this. The reason you don't like it when somebody else is the big noise at the party is because you wanted to be the big noise at the party. I remember reading that going, okay, that's Ken right there. Wants to be the big noise at the party. And some, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I am so proud I am not that way. 
Well, congratulations there, you sinless being. Think about that for a while. Anyway, so Jerry probably was a bigger noise at the party than I was, and so he, he kind of irritated me. And he was everywhere I went, he would, he would show up. And we would get on the bus and drive to other states out the west. And, you know, we'd be on a bus together, so you couldn't get away from him. And, and then uh, we got out to Kansas. Uh, Jerry was from Kansas. His people were farm people in Kansas. We sang at Jerry's church. We broke down all the equipment. We put it on the bus. Pastor said, why don't you come forward? I want to tell everybody where they're going home tonight. Guess where I got to stay? Jerry's house. I'm like, Okay. So we go home with Jerry, Jerry Donovan, and we drive out in the countryside down a two-lane road, and then we turn down a gravel road, and then we turn down a dirt road, and there's this uh, humble farm back a long lane, and we turn down the long lane, and we drive back to his farmhouse, and everybody could tell we were coming, so his little brothers and sisters and his mom and dad, they were humble people. They came out on the porch, Jerry's home, Jerry's home. And then we had farm food, we had pie and ice cream, and we sang hymns around the piano that night. And then they said, well, time to go to bed. You're going to be sleeping in Jerry's room with them. I'm like, all right. So we go upstairs, and there are two beds. It's a humble place. It's two little cot-like sized beds, smaller than twin beds, just little cot-sized beds, two of them up there. Jerry got in his, and then I got in the other one. Just before I turned the light out, I looked on the wall, and I noticed there was a Kansas City Royals pennant, this little baseball glove, a little baseball hat, one of those little wooden bats. And I said, whose stuff is this? Jerry said, that's my brother. I'm like, oh, where's your brother sleeping tonight? He said, oh, yeah, well, my brother drowned when he was 10. And then we turned off the light, and I lay there in that bed, and I can honestly say from that moment to this, I love Jerry Donovan. Jerry went on to be a missionary in China for years and faithfully serve the Lord. And I love him. I just didn't know his story. What a powerful thing it would be if we listened, if we served, if we loved, and if we saw people the way Jesus sees people. I'd like to ask you to stand while the musicians come. You'd like to receive Christ as your Savior. You'd like somebody to walk you through how to be saved. We want you to come after our service is all the way over and we dismiss. We'd like you to come forward because we have a prayer team that will be here and they can sit and talk with you and they can pray with you. You'd like to set up an appointment with me or one of the other pastors. Our numbers are in the bulletin. Ours are our personal cell phone numbers. You can text or call us. We'll get right back with you as fast as we can. We want to help you. If you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord, many of you, I know you're, all, you're Jesus followers. This has been neat today to think about how beautiful he is how loving he is, what a servant he is, what a good listener he is, and how he sees people the way he sees people. We're going to sing about our beautiful, beautiful Jesus right now. Worship as we sing together, and then do what the Lord puts on your heart to do.